You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, I'm sure it's been said several times today, but again, welcome to Grace Community Church. If it's your first time, you may be here visiting. We're so glad that you came to see your family members dedicate children who are also your family members, or you might have decided to come and check out the folks at Grace Community Church, and we're really glad that you're here. What a theologically rich service we have had already this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Scott, and thank you, Ricky, for leading us to worship the Lord. Uh, We had hoped for a prettier day, but, you know, you take what you get. Well, if someone, how would you feel if someone said to you, you know what, I can help you be a better parent, a better worker, a better student, a better preacher? I I suppose it would depend on who's given the advice as to how you would feel. Uh, Do you know this person or do you at least know of this person? Is this someone you would consider a mentor or is it a peer? Is the Apostle Paul the one making the suggestion or is it one of Job's three friends? I know how I would feel if a visitor or a member came up to me after the service, especially if they did it often and said, you know what, I've got some advice for you. Uh, Can we get together so I could share how you can become a better and more effective preacher. Now, look, don't misunderstand. The best teachers are teachable, but most of us would prefer to choose the people from whom we we want to learn rather than having others impose their advice on me. And by the way, nobody has done that to me. I'm just trying to enter in what it's like when you hear that uh, said to you. Perhaps this is one of the reasons, though, We don't like people telling us how to do better because in a sense it makes us feel like there's something wrong with us. And perhaps this is the reason that so many people reject the gospel. They don't want to be told that they don't measure up and goodness knows. To believe the good news of the gospel, you must first believe the sobering news that no one can make himself or herself acceptable to God by his or her good works. But even believers struggle with being told what to do. It's not just an American thing. It's a human thing. Before, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, before he could get off the mountain, the people had broken several of those commandments. We misunderstood God's purposes in the law and thought that the only way To please him was to obey the law and be a good person. The problem, of course, is that none of us can obey perfectly, which might be the reason that a lot of people just don't even try. I can never be good enough, so why even try? The law of Moses reveals God's character, and the law helps to control human behavior. But it also shows us our sin. And we're not crazy about being 
shown our sin. Know what I mean? After Jesus came to die for our sins, our relationship with God from that point forward depended on trusting God to fulfill his promises. But in reality, that's the way people have always been saved even before the cross. The Old Testament saints were saved the same way we are saved. Romans and Galatians both quote Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Salvation has always been accomplished in us through faith, not good works. The object of our faith, Jesus Christ, uh, has now completed the work and our relationship with God depends on believing him as we have sung so powerfully this morning. It is no doubt a challenge to hear God's voice and believe much, believe when much of the culture is openly opposed to God in his ways. Last week's message was part two of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. And it reminded us that although our relationship with God is dependent on faith in Jesus, even so, our relationship with the Lord is no casual affair. And when we justify and give ourselves over to sin, we justify sin and give ourselves over to sin, especially to sexual sins, then we are in trouble. And again, if it's your first time, you better go back and listen to some of these messages leading up to this one, because that might sound like, whoa, I didn't know we were going to talk about that. Well, it's really part three. What are we to do when our calling is to live a life that is opposed to the world's ways? It is easy to say, just obey Stop sinning and live for Jesus. It's easy to say, but it's difficult to do. So are we on our own? Is there any help for us? No, we are not alone. And yes, there is help. We learned in 1 Corinthians 6 that to commit sexual sins is like bringing the very of body the very body of Christ into sin again Scott and Ricky have both talked about our union with the Lord and our union with one another so of all people we ought to be motivated to conquer the flesh everything we do as believers involves Jesus now think about that Everything we do, if we are believers, involves Jesus. We are that closely identified with him and he with us. The good news about that, even though it's kind of intimidating to think about us taking Jesus everywhere we go and in everything we do, we're bringing his body into the picture. The good news is it is our identity with Christ that enables us to overcome the pressure to sin and also to resist the pressure to celebrate the sins that non-believers or unbelievers practice and affirm. But how does simply knowing who we are help us to live 
godly lives. We should find help in our text this morning, which even though it's part three of the messages from 1 Corinthians 6, the text is actually 1 Peter 2 verses 1 to 12. So don't think of this as a deviation from the Corinthian series, but rather as a supplement in the middle of several weeks of study in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. Most of the New Testament epistles are written like, boy, God has just done some wonderful things for you. It's just so awesome. 1 Corinthians written like, what are you doing? Quit doing that. You what, Have you no sense about you? Quit acting like that. So every once in a while, it's good to bring some other parts of the New Testament in and for encouragement as a supplement to this series. So, part three of the second half of 1 Corinthians 6, even though it is in 1 Peter. Let's read our text. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you're able yet again to get out of your lawn chair, uh, that would if we will stand for the reading of Scripture. And if you've been in the sun for a long time and you need to step in the shade for a minute, that's okay, just to, to recalibrate. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants that were standing up here this morning, long for the pure spiritual milk while they were being held while they were up here. For, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and you were in big trouble, is this point, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good de deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thank you and be seated. So this must be where Jim Acock gets his question that he so often asks. How's your conduct? He always asks that. Last week we talked about the importance of our bodies. God created us as we are. And as believers, we carry the body of Christ with us. As those who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we are not free to live any way that desire. We desire we were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. And each believer's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3, the entire church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And him who destroys the temple of the Holy Spirit, him will God destroy. In other words, make sure there's a really good reason before you stir up strife in a church, whether it's this church or any church. Make sure you have a really good gospel reason before stirring up trouble. So we are all the temple of the Holy Spirit, but individually in 1 Corinthians 6, our bodies are temple temples of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So each one. How are we to live, though, holy lives when sinful passions are not only strong within us, but at this very moment the culture affirms our passions as good and wholesome? Our text will help us to walk in the light of who we are in Christ. Four thoughts, beginning with first, discipline yourself to always hold. The indispensable element of God's life-giving word near to your heart and mind. If you are a Christian, God's word, you cannot do without God's word. It's almost certain that when Peter encouraged his readers to long for the pure spiritual milk in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he was referring to God's living, eternal, abiding, and life giving word that is described in the last four verses of chapter 1. The very word that was preached to those believers. The truth of Scripture is not a philosophy to ponder and embrace. It's not a moral guide for life, although surely there's philosophy in Scripture. Surely morality is clearly defined in Scripture. And it is certainly not a hammer with which to pound your enemies. Although when the Lord returns, the word of God will destroy those who do not believe. The Bible is God's revelation to the world, describing who he is and how we are to relate to him. But more specifically, it's God's instructions for his covenant people. And only those who believe will ever make sense of scripture. What shapes your thoughts and directs your actions? The Corinthians, as we have seen, were greatly influenced by the acceptance of multiple forms of sexual immorality. But they did not simply state, oh, well, you know what? The leaders of the city <clears throat> live this way, and so it's it's got to be okay. No, they went to scripture. They use scripture and Christian maxim, little Christian sayings to justify their behavior. But, but none of the things that they said 
while there was an element of truth in those Christian maxims, there in no way was any legitimate biblical support for their actions. So does this happen in our day? Do we justify our sin with spiritual thoughts? Well, how about some of these? I was born this way, so surely God must have intended me to live my life in this way. God is love, and he would never disapprove a relationship between two people where love thrives, where love abounds, these two people who love each other. If God's grace is seen most clearly when I sin, then it must be okay to sin because then God will be magnified all the more. God has forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future. So if I sin, next week it's already been forgiven. Even though I am in a man's body, the real me is a woman. And it would be dishonest for me to refuse to become the person God made me to truly be. I'm sure you have heard far more sophisticated arguments than these, but you get the idea. Now, please let me just take a moment to say this. My heart goes out to you if you struggle. Look, if you struggle with any kind of lust, my heart goes out. For you, if you have same-sex attraction, if you're dissatisfied with your body, if you think you that somehow the universe, because even most of us wouldn't say God got it wrong, even if we're trying to acknowledge God at all, we'd say somehow the universe got it wrong, and I am, my heart goes out to you, and in no way do I mean to hurt you as a person only to speak the truth of the Lord. How can we counter, and especially if, if you struggle with these things, you especially need to think about this. How can we counter the noise of modern voices that utilize ideas as old as time? We begin by resting on God's eternal word. Look, Satan is not that sophisticated, just has different forms of the same arguments that he uses over and over. Began in the garden, the ones that we are worried about, that they began in the garden. But God's word is eternal. And we are to pursue the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Now, now look, don't take the Apostle Peter's analogy too far. He's not comparing his readers to spiritual infants, but simply saying that believers ought always to hunger for the word in the same way that infants hunger for milk and are restless until their needs are met. So what is your relationship with Scripture? What is your relationship with the word? It's doubtful that you've heard me say, Well, let me, it's doubtful that you've heard me say in the last 24 hours that I would strongly encourage you to read through the Bible every year. Now, I know there are a lot of you that want to say, oh, there it goes again. I I can't do it. Believe me, I have tried. I just can't get past Leviticus. Exodus is hard enough, but I can't get past Leviticus. 
I, I know there might be a year here or there that doesn't work, but I cannot tell you the benefit of reading through Scripture every year, and it may be decades before you realize the benefit of it. But if we've got all eternity to spend with God, you've got time to get there as the Lord opens the word to you over the years. Now, look, this task might seem daunting, especially when you come to sections that are not easy for you. Uh, some believers understand why the details are there and they appreciate the genealogies. I skim them unless I'm seeking to make connection within uh, the story. One of these years, I'm going to read through out loud. Well, I shouldn't say I'm going to. If the Lord gives me the grace, I'll read it out loud so that I have to read every name. But it's not that important. And while you might not appreciate the details that are given for the construction of the tabernacle or the temple, there are builders in our church who are amazed by God's intricate designs. I remember this when I was, we were had a group uh, in our home group, we had a builder. And he and his wife had decided to read through Scripture. They had never done it all the way through. This was years ago. And it just struck me. I said, I bet you enjoy the book of Exodus when all the details are given for um, the building of the tabernacle. And he said, I am fascinated with it. I'm just fascinated with that. If you find your mind wanders as you read, then don't feel compelled to go back and reread every section that you just finished. You'll get to it next year. That's one of the benefits of doing it every year. So these are just a few practical helps for those who want to read the entire Bible in a year, but have been, frankly, just too intimidated to give it a go. Reading from Genesis to Revelation every year... <laughs> only begins to scratch the surface of what your relationship with the Bible could and should be. But it's a great place to begin. So, and, and this is one of the ways that we're able to overcome sin that is so tempting and so affirmed by the culture. The second is to worship Jesus even though it will be offensive to unbelievers. You might recall from our time in John's gospel that Jesus told his followers that if the world hates me, which it did and does, then the world will hate you. So if you have been alive for a long time, you're most likely surprised at the level of vitriol that comes from the world toward believers. This week, several of us have been praying for an OBGYN doc who is being forced out of the hospital where he serves because his values do not conform with the world's standard of health care. At the core, it is his love for Jesus that leads him to positions that are opposed to the world's values, and the world is having none of it. Let's read verses 4 through 6 again. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. By the way, Peter was talking about very religious people who rejected Jesus. Then he says in verse 5, you yourselves 
like living stones are being built up in as a spiritual house to a holy be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in scripture behold i am laying in zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame jesus was rejected by many of the people he came to save but in god's eyes he was and is precious that's not that's surprising what is surprising it's amazing in fact that we are precious in the lord's sight god's word over and over connects us with jesus in god's love for us and in the purposes he ordained for us before the world began we are building blocks in god's spiritual house of which jesus is the cornerstone this past sunday i referenced jackie hill perry in the sermon jackie freely confesses that she rejected the christian mission earlier in her life because she had same-sex attraction and furthermore she lived out her lesbian inclinations she knew that she would need to give up the gay lifestyle if she trusted christ as her savior she believed nonetheless and gives praise to god for saving her and none of her temptations that used to bother her bother her no that's not the case the temptations didn't automatically suddenly go away simply willing herself to not feel that way didn't give her the strength she needed to forsake the attraction to her old ways even though she was a new person in Christ but over time she grew to understand who God is and who she is in the body of Christ and an understanding of her identity in Christ enabled her to walk in newness of life though I'm sure it's difficult every single day here again is Jackie Hill Perry quote now think about this LGBT culture and then several letters since this was written has done an excellent job of renewing, or should I say, destroying the mind of many, mainly by consistently using words as their greatest tool in their efforts to draw people into finding greater joy and identifying with their sin than with their creator. So, we find greater joy in identifying with our sin than we do in identifying with Jesus. Once sanctification begins, she continues, in the, in the life of a believer that has same-sex attraction, mind renewal has also begun. How are our minds renewed? Right here in the Word, in prayer, walking with the Lord and walking with one another. Then she says, a beautiful miracle in which God enters in and starts turning the heart into the cathedral it was intended to be. Close quote. In other words, worship Jesus even though <clears throat> it will be offensive to unbelievers. Third, 
participate fully in the chosen royal and holy community to which you have been called and in which you have been placed. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's difficult for me to get my heart to agree with my mind about who Jesus says that I am. I mean, I get it up here, but man, there's evidence in my life that I'm not identifying with him as he has called me to. Fortunately, if you struggle with this, you don't need to do this on your own. Indeed, you are not expected to do this on your own. The Lord not only completely changed your identity when he saved you, but he placed you in a family that is designed to walk with you and encourage you in the face of severe temptation from within, within yourself, and extreme opposition from without. To benefit, though, you have to be fully immersed in the body of Christ. And in our case, the body of Christ, as Jack Lucas would say, known as Grace Community Church. Are you in a home group? Do you have more than one go-to person in the church when life is difficult? In view of Jackie Hill Perry's comments about temptation, which, by the way, is made significantly more difficult through the effective messaging of the world. So in view of her comments and in view of believers losing their jobs because of their biblical worldview, Hear again these words from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. <clears throat> you know what it's like? These parents were up here saying, yeah, it's my boy. That's my girl. We love this one. God's in heaven saying, that's my boy, that's my woman, that's my girl. I love them. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Number four, stay alert. The day of visitation is near. Now, the day of visitation is not, as I initially assumed, the day of Jesus' return, although that is true as well. The day of visitation that Peter, to which Peter is referring, is the day when the Lord brings salvation to the lost. And even though we know that salvation is of the Lord, we have an important role to play in this process. So, <clears throat> once again, we'll read verses 11 and 12. And as we do, keep in mind the challenges to the flesh or the challenges from the flesh that war against our soul. If you struggle with lust or with greed or anger or same-sex attraction or if you're deeply dissatisfied with your body or if 
if, if you're deeply dissatisfied with those who disagree with you politically or socially, then ask the Lord to strengthen you, even as these verses are read. So very much is at stake. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Why did you feel so comfortable in the world when you were a sojourner, when you are in exile? Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Verse 12 is a verse for our day. Those who don't know Jesus are going to speak against us and label us as evildoers. That's just the way it is. We should let them know how wrong they are though, right? No, wrong. We are called and empowered to keep our conduct honorable among unbelievers. You know, what, what a great object lesson. I was praying during this singing, Lord, shut those machines down, keep it quiet. But, but you just can't. It's distraction. We may as well pray, Lord, don't let any temptation come my way today. Not, not give me strength, but just don't let any temptation. <laughs> These passions war against our soul. And the Lord has called us to live among believers in a way that glorifies the Lord. <clears throat> this is almost... The end of the sermon, but not quite. Would you please close your eyes for just a moment? There is almost no way that you get along with everyone. There are those who are promoting laws and ideas that are opposed to your understanding of how life should be lived. How do you interact with those who seem to hate what you believe? Do you respond in kind? Or you seek to live honorably among them? Which means not being overcome with evil, but overcoming evil. with good here's an even more personal question how do you feel about those who disagree with you the entire book of first Peter speaks to our response to the world and it's not easy this life to which we're called might this be a moment when you need to ask the Lord to forgive you for the contempt that you have for those who disagree with you? Ask Him to give you Jesus' love for unbelievers so that you may 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Would you just pray for that kind of a heart? Ask the Lord to cause you to respond in love when you are confronted with unbiblical views and voices. Amen. I want to close this morning by reading a passage from Ephesians 4 that encourages us to remember the differences between unbelievers who walk in darkness and believers whose minds have been redeemed and sanctified. We're not who we used to be. Ephesians 4, 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienate, understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not how you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. Would you stand together? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.